welcome to this business of music and poetry podcast, where the life of a creative meets the real world. I'm Michael Amade, host of World Poetry Open Mic and the Michael Amade Show, publisher of World Poetry Magazine, musician, poet, and author of more books than I should mention. My collaborator and co-conspirator in this project is none other than Clifford Brooks. Cliff is the author of Athena Departs and the Draw of Broken Eyes and Whirling Metaphysics. He's the founder of the Southern Collective Experience and is a creative force behind the Blue Mountain Review. Our guest today is Gary Chapman. Gary Chapman is professor of painting and drawing at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. He holds an MFA from Cranbrook Academy of Art and a BA and BS from Berea College. Chapman has over 70 solo exhibitions with institutions such as the Montgomery Museum of Fine Arts, the Art Center of St. Petersburg, Florida, the University of Cincinnati, University of Georgia, and the Indianapolis Art Center. He has also participated in numerous groups and individual exhibitions with regional, national, and international venues. He was awarded and named a Joan Mitchell Call Legacy Artist in 2013 and has received numerous grants and fellowships, including the 1996 National Endowment for the Arts Fellowship in Painting from the Southern Arts Federation and a 2002 and 1994 Individual Artist Fellowship from the Alabama State Council on the Arts. His work has been reviewed extensively and has published in over 20 catalogs and books, including the four editions of New American Paintings. Thirteen paintings by Chapman have been purchased for the collections of ten museums in the southeast region as well as by many corporate and private collections throughout the country. Without any further ado, here is our interview with Gary Chapman. All right, y'all. Tonight on This Business of Music and Poetry, we have Gary Chapman, artist and professor of art at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Gary, how are you doing, boss? doing pretty well the semester's over turned in my grades <laughs> <laughs> and now the fun begins man uh yeah it, it's i was just you know we were talking a little bit off uh camera as it were before we began this party and i want to circle back around to it that uh um i met you indirectly in 1996 at shorter college when i wandered into an art exhibit that they were putting on and uh, couldn't walk out because uh, the art there was so striking and uh, actually kept a card here that, you know, all these eons later got me to say, I wonder what this dude's doing now. Um, tell us about your art. Uh, how do you categorize it and, and what moves you? Wow. Uh, well, the, the easy answer is a figurative artist, but I hate that term. Uh, it's a term used in the visual art world a lot, and um, it has some negative connotations to it. It actually often is, is um, an artist is labeled a figurative artist if they paint the figure because they have nothing else to do or they have nothing to say. It's just a, it's sort of a technical means of proving your skill. And while the figure is a really important um, component in my work, it's not what is driving the work. I simply use it as a vehicle. And so my, if, if I were really to um, expound on that, uh, that term, I, I would call myself a conceptually dri driven figurative artist. So I'm an oil painter, uh, although I incorporate a lot of other media, uh, rather large. Sometimes they get up as much as eight, nine feet, um, but you know, typical three, four feet size. And yeah. <laughs> when you use paint, um, I've always, I love this question. Uh, what is the, what does the paint symbolize to you, you know, in its raw form when you look at the canvas? 
You know, I kind of like the fact that it's almost nothing, that it's just color spilling out of a tube. You know, it's not like a sculptor who has a big rock in front of them. It's not. And, you know, I, I should back up a little bit. I, I was thinking about this today, knowing this interview is coming. I think I could have been a sculptor. I think I could have been a printmaker. I think I could have. But I happened to take a painting class and I just loved the fact that I invest this time with very little materials and something otherworldly comes out of it. You know, if you think of art as a as a window, you know, I sort of create this window into into this other world. And uh, I think that's what painting, I, I took the painting class my junior year in college and I knew, I knew that's what I was gonna do. What did that feel like when you locked onto, this is it, this is what I wanna do? You know, did, did it give you clarity? Was it frightening? Was it all that? Uh, it, it, it was, ab it, it was absolutely uh, like a moment in time. Um, but once I acknowledged it, I think it took me a couple of years to realize what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly I was an art major and I was a junior in college. I knew I had to stay an extra year to get some more courses under my belt. And I knew I had to go straight to grad school to keep the momentum going. Uh, there's something to be said about taking some time between undergrad and grad school. I often tell my students that. But uh, I needed to keep the ball rolling, and um, it was. It was just, it wasn't quite a lightning bolt, but it was an absolute decision that this is where I'm going. A question I love um, with, with folks that have made uh, their muse, their vocation, uh, you just mentioned school and, and, the, and the drive and the immediate knowledge, like, okay, in order to attain what I want, I'm going to need this much training. What do you think if there is an equation or the balance there between um, the technical training you need and then that raw material you're born with? Hmm, that, we could go on for hours on that. Good, <laughs> I, good. I, I actually believe that anyone can be an artist. I really do believe that. I, I believe anybody, I mean, I think it's, it is naturally human to be creative. In fact, I would even go a little further than that. I've been doing some reading lately, and I think it's part of the animal, animal kingdom to be creative. There's, there, there's elements of creativity shown all the time in the, in the animal kingdom. So I think we all can be creative, but the reality of, is that most people aren't or, or don't employ it. And it's definitely something that has to be exercised. Uh, both exercised and exorcised it um, because if you don't it, it, it atrophies and so you you have to keep working at it and keep that momentum rolling and when you have those dry moments you know it's important to find something that sparks you to kind of move forward again um, I'm not sure if I answered your question Clifford I kind of strayed a little bit but um no, you did. And, and, and the best way to answer a question is to stray. I think that when people <laughs> come out with that machine gun immediate answer, I'm like, you didn't think about that, man. Come on now. Um, you know, it, it, no, I mean, you absolutely, you nailed it. I mean, I think that, uh, and I feel in, in many of the same ways that uh, the raw talent is there. It's, it's the way I feel about the word potential. You know, when someone's had the potential to do something, they never end up doing it in the story. You know, uh, they could have they been an architect, but now they're spoken crack behind the Piggly Wiggly. You know, it's, they had the potential to be so much, yep. you know, uh, how, how, you know, how are you going to run with that? And, and you know, that, that's, that's where I kind of wanted to go with this is that um, I've been teaching 30 years now and I have really great students and I cannot tell you how many students have come into the studio and painted so incredibly well. And some of them do okay, 
But uh, my favorite students over the years are those students who come in and they paint reasonably well, but they're very teachable. They listen, they learn, and they want it. They want it so bad. They work their ass off and they end up painting circles around the other student. And there's something about that innate talent that um, many people who are, are, are fortunate to have that seem not to find a purpose for it, seem not to find the drive to keep it going because it either because it comes so easily to them or they just simply haven't found anything to apply it to that they get some great reward out of. And that kid who wants it so bad and works so hard, uh, he gets there at a certain point or she gets there at a certain point and then they just go. That's pretty rewarding as a teacher. And that leads me to to a to a question when when someone number one I've always wanted to inject into a show that you know you grow up hearing that maxim those who can't do teach and once I got into it I'm like that's an awful philosophy I don't want anybody to teach me to do a damn thing they can't do themselves you know um, and so again like to kind of follow that thought you know I've often uh, you know and wanted to fill this gap that I think that in in, in every degree but especially anything in the arts. At the end of that degree, uh, there should be a class, if not two, on how the world works, how to make your, how to make this art actually make you money. Because uh, you know most people that have an art degree come out and and they are absolutely unprepared on how to monetize that. You know, I mean, well, what 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 do you tell your students? Did you do you fill them in on anything like that? About 20 years ago, our dean recognized, or actually our chair recognized, we needed a course like that. And I was actually the architect of our professional artist seminar. Mm -hmm. And in, in that course, we make sure the students know how to photo document their work, can write a good resume, and it's in the proper format, the College Art Association format. They learn how to photo document their work digitally. They know how to, to uh, Photoshop, clean it up, store it, record it. They know um, they know that the gist of flirting with the gallery, why to flirt with the gallery or not to flirt with the gallery, whether you want commercial representation or whether you want uh, to go at sort of rogue and alone. Um, they know how to write an artist statement, and we talk a lot about it, the, the nuances such as taxes, and we talk about um, alternatives, and I wouldn't say I teach them how to make money, because I don't know that I've learned how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the beauty of teaching. You know, I tell my students all the time, there's no formula to success, and that you can point to a million high school art teachers who don't make art. You can paint. You can point to quite a few college art professors who don't make art. But I know high school art teachers who are very prolific. I just went to an opening last week of, of a man who did this monumental sculpture, a high school art um, uh, artist uh, teacher. And um, so there are no formulas and uh, you have to find the profession because most people do have to work besides their, 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 their medium. And you have to find the profession that complements it. And it just so happens teaching really complements my productivity. Now I got very lucky. I was hired by a research one institution, UAB. And so we have a very light teaching load. It's a two, three, we teach two days a week. So we stack our courses. So I have plenty of time and they afford me a beautiful studio. And so um, I either make art and get a reputation or I get kicked out, <laughs> which I, ha I happen to love. And it has really worked for me. What, um, when did you know that teaching was going to be that, that, that middle place or that's that, that productive spark, you know, when, when did it come across your mind? Like I need to do this. I need to teach. About a week after I learned that I was a painter. <laughs> <laughs> How did that go? What was that process that, that made it click? 
So I'm sitting there painting in the studio. I, I remember this, maybe not this moment, but this hour pretty vividly. I'm painting and thinking what, what a blast I'm having, what a great time I'm having. And I'm like, if this is what I'm gonna do, how am I gonna do this? And I started thinking about the college professor who their whole activity, their job is to teach other people to make art, to think about art, to quantify, qualify, uh, put in context. And uh, that just excites me. And it just, it just, I knew that would drive me to make my own work. And, and one of my uh, high school teachers actually told me that uh, the great thing about being a teacher is uh, you get exposed to a lot of ideas and then you can do it better. <laughs> Which That's I, awesome. I, I try not to steal my students' ideas too much, but um, you know, th there are new new ideas that you know we're constantly regurgitating the same stuff. It's finding new context and finding um, your own personal approach and and connection to whatever it is you're addressing. This is, I mean, I I couldn't. These, I, I think I say this every show. This is the best show we've done. I'm serious with with the the educational value. I mean, the, the know how. To me, this is what even the title of the show. This business of using poetry. This is what we want. To, to get out to folks, you know, it, it, there's a, there's a, I think an erroneous philosophy that's been out there that if you don't only do your art, then you're not a successful artist. And, you know, that what'll help is to get a job that you hate because that'll motivate you to go to art. And it's destructive. It's absolutely counterproductive. And, and, and I think um, counterintuitive to the artist that you need to follow what you're passionate about, because you know, it, it's for me too. Teaching was the same thing. It gets me out of my head, not thinking about what I've got to write, and, and it puts me into the seat of helping others and watching that same uh, that blue flame of creativity spark in them too. You know, there's a there's a there's a um, there's a there's a the thrill that you get when you see lights come on and you just get out of their way and watch what they do. Um, is that the same kind of energy that you get in the classroom? Absolutely. And then and then there's another side to that coin, I would say, and that is that. Um, you know, you have to be careful about picking your job because of what it may ultimately do for you. And I think about what Carl Jung wrote about. Carl Jung said that, you know, every um, artist feels this compulsion to create, to make things. And there is such thing as false satisfying that, 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 that need, that urge. And so the student who says, I'm gonna be a graphic designer and make my art on the weekends or at night, or the, the student who thinks I'm gonna be a teacher and make my art at night over the weekends, um, that doesn't always work. In fact, most of the time it doesn't. And Carl Jung would talk about how, you know, you can get into a situation where if I'm, if I'm making furniture that day that has nothing to do with my art and my conceptual purpose, I am falsely satisfying that need to make. And so by the time you get home, you're drained of that, that need to create, even though you've not really, um, um, dug deeply into that 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 activity, and so I, I I was very careful about thinking about what kind of profession I wanted to go into. Damn, or maybe, maybe I was lucky. <laughs> yeah, you just reframed my whole life, bro. <laughs> like, oh my god, it is. When I think about young, I always think about the quote: uh, "Everything before forty is practice." And for me, that was absolutely the case. It's almost like a bell went off. Like, man, I've been an idiot for a long time. It's, it's absolutely the case for me as well. I, I've, I've noticed, like, damn, man. Uh, so there's a there's a, a great. You're really hitting a great point on this too. And I think um, there's a lot of people out there, and I'm sure you you probably run into this in in some respects in what you're doing. There seem to be a lot of people out there who are who know they have it within themselves to be artists or to be creative, yet they're always kind of 
searching for some hack or some ability to quote be more creative in life um and i i think at least from my perspective that's something you have to kind of discover in yourself you have to kind of unlock it and let it flow but do you run into students like that and if you do how do you kind of go about helping them approach it you know um it, it's 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 a it's a tricky situation um I teach a beginning painting class, which is a really hardcore how to see, how to translate, and how to reproduce that, that what you're seeing. It, it's a very academic how-to paint class. We go through a gauntlet of still lives. For some, it's incredibly boring um, because there's no content at all, but it's just, it's just learning the language. It's learning the punctuation. It's learning, you know, how to create the outline and then write the essay. It's, it's, um, it's very technical stuff, but what I find, well, actually, let me, let me step back. My teachers were afraid to teach me that. I think they were, came from that 50s, 60s mentality that if I, if I teach you too much technique, it will stifle your creativity, <laughs> and I have actually found the exact opposite is true that if, if you dig in and learn the mechanics and I'm only talking about one semester really learn to paint you empower students they realize that it's 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 attainable that they can learn pretty quickly and they may not have mastered the medium at that point but if they've done that in two and a half months and they continue for another year or two they're going to master it they're going to master it to the level that they want to or need to um then the tricky thing, the trickiest part of all is moving into the intermediate level where it's like, okay, now you've learned to paint. What are you going to say? What are you going to, what, what, why do you want to paint? What do you want to paint about? And that's the beauty of being at a university is that like, they can't say, well, I'm just going to paint flowers. Uh, I'm going to say, well, okay, you can paint flowers, but why, you know, uh, because they're beautiful. You know, it's like, well, buy a Hallmark card. You know, if, if, if you want to talk about beauty, what is beautiful? Beautiful to me is something very different than to you or your mother. And so delving into that is a, is a sticky wicket, but it's also the very thing I love to do. And it's really just, you know, the creativity is there. Um, my wife studied film uh, in the 80s and she was literally studying film, not video. So it was very expensive. And they, one of their senior projects, they had to create a 10 minute film, which was incredibly expensive at the time. And so the students would just get bogged down, like, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna spend a thousand dollars and I'm gonna spend all, you know, a whole semester doing this 10 minute film and I've gotta do something like address the world's, um, <laughs> how, to, how to cut down population or the nuclear crisis, or it's like, no, wait, wait a minute, stop. You don't know that shit. What, what do you know about? What do you, what do you think about when you go to bed at night? And her, her professor told her that it is far more profound uh, to do a 10-minute film about a boy who sits down at the table and peels an orange every morning, sees the orange, feels the orange, smells the orange, pops open the orange, tastes the orange. If this is something he does every morning to start his day, it becomes this ritual. And that can be a really profound thing. So you don't want to reach outside yourself. You want to reach inside yourself and find what, what is connected there to the outside world. And then you can bring something new to it love the way that you're you're talking about this and i think musically this makes a lot of sense too um, which is when you empower people by showing them the vocabulary showing them the language that thought then follows the language the, yep. because we can't conceive of how to do certain things so we don't we're not even aware as possible 
act. Right. Um, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I think in some respects also that music, especially with, with electronic production and things like that is becoming almost more and more like painting. Here's all my colors. Now, how am I going to mix these things together and how am I going to put it together? Um, when, when you see, when you see the, the people you're talking about that uh, have that internal drive, I remember my, my voice teacher referring to talent as um, when someone would rather work on their craft than eat, you know, that that's what he called talent, right? <laughs> and it was, it was more the desire. Um, when you see that shift in somebody, or when you see that, that hunger, besides the hunger, is there another common denominator that you seem to, to find in, in these people? Do you th- are well, they hungry for other things too? Or is it just like something that they connect in with this particularly? They tend to be energetic people. <laughs> they tend to be- they tend to, I love an obsessive compulsive. I love a high energy student. Um, and this is all tied into the same thing, but it's all about work ethic. If they don't have the work ethic, it's just, it means nothing. Um, I teach a, this professional artist seminar and I start with a 15 minute lecture on none of this stuff we're about to talk, talk about means nothing if you're not getting it done. You have to have a body of work. To be discovered. You have to have a body of work to show. You can't just make a couple of paintings and you've got to keep making them and you've got to find what's driving you to make them. And it, and it can be a lot of things. There's not one answer. It can be the cathartic process. It can be just that I feel good after I've made it. It can be something seemingly superficial, like this is how you get attention. You know, we all want attention on some level. And, um, yeah, so it's just finding out what drives you. A, a, a good work ethic goes a long way. A good work ethic. That's what um, it, 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 you, you hit it directly on the head. I mean, it, it, it kind of goes back to that the potential joke I was making before is that you can want to do it all day long, you know, with that sacrifice and the, the, and the desire and the, and the awareness that, like, this ain't going to be easy for a minute, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard uh, from those who, who taught and didn't do um how uh the ridiculous things like you know making money is somehow selling out uh mm-hmm. and that wanting attention is somehow selling out and, and i remember sitting back going well number one i'd love to pay bills because no one's taking poetry in place of a power bill you know it's like no one has yet taken a hug to help keep my cable on um <laughs> you know uh so i mean i think that's a crucial part of it but again i'm not judging anybody but that's going to come from somebody who doesn't know how to do it. And if you don't get out there and understand the marketing and how to get positive attention and what the difference between negative and positive is, uh, you're dead in the water. You can have a room full of gorgeous art and with no one aware of it, no one's going to come just randomly knock on your door and ask, you got some art for sale? You know, just, <laughs> you know, you, I walk by and I just, I, you smell like an artist or, you know, is, is that acetone? You know, it's, <laughs> uh, or you have a meth lab, one or the other, I can walk away real fast. You know, um, when, to, when you, when you look about how, how do you go about marketing? let's do that when you when you with social media and stuff like that how do you how do you how did you find a niche uh well i i'm not a, i'm not a commercial gallery guy um i had a, a very nice commercial gallery in north carolina blue spiral for about five six years i had a commercial gallery in atlanta for a little while but my work was always changing just enough that i don't think the gallery system was was comfortable with me right uh, that was that's the beauty of being a professor is i've got my income it's not a great income but it's a it's it's a doable income mm-hmm. and i've got that blanket so i've never made work um to be marketable and when i have tried to make marketable work it was a greater failure <laughs> right so, so what i tried to do is stay true to myself in fact i started my conversation series with that 
actually in mind. I said, I'm just going to make big paintings that nobody will ever buy. And they'll stand out because they're big. And I'm going to take time with them because they're mine. And my conversation period this, uh, series, there are nine of them now. Um, quite a few of them have taken two years to complete. Uh, two of them I actually finished very fast for me, seven months. Now I'm working on a lot of other work at the same time, but these conversation period pieces, I like to start with an iconic image and just let it bake. And then I start adding things and adding things. And uh, then I know when it's done and it often is a year and a half or two years later. I've got nine of them. I sold one to a museum. <laughs> <laughs> right on. <laughs> um, what do you think is your, your most profound or important body of work or, or movement that you've gotten hold of? Wow. Um, well, if I had to isolate a painting, it would be Mutra and Tokter, which was done many years ago, but it's just, I don't know, it's just really captured people. It's at the Montgomery Museum of Art, and I just get a lot of attention for it, and it was done in the 90s when, when, when we first uh, crossed paths. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I think the most significant work would either be my helmet project or the conversation series. The conversation series I, I was just talking about are uh, 86 inches tall by 64 inches wide. Every one of them starts with some sort of iconic image like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger on the beach, uh, Raquel Welsh in one, 1 million yeah. BC. Yeah. Um, there's, uh, ah, anyway, each one is some sort of iconic image from art history or pop culture. And I use them as sort of a potent symbol to start a conversation either about male sexuality or female sexuality or war or um, transplantation and acceptance and just a lot of sort of universal topics that I've, I've sort of picked on. The helmet project is very different in that they're very straightforward images of um, a group of 12 fictitious people who have fashioned helmets. Uh, each one is different. They look like they do, they have some sort of function but it's never really clear, but every helmet blocks their eyes. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a fictitious group of people who have given up on eyesight because they're tired of being duped by this world that we live in now, the digital world that, you know, we can see it in front of us and it's not true. We can hear it on the news and it's not true. Um, and I, I tie in quantum physics and Bernie Madoff's crimes and the economic crash, but, you know, all, all the world around us is sort of confusing, especially if you rely on our eyes. So this fictitious group of people have decided to look inward um, if nothing else, a Band-Aid for the moment to kind of figure themselves out. As you were working on, on, all, on all your projects, actually, um, how does music factor into your, your creative process? Uh, well, it's funny because I, I consider myself a huge music aficionado, but I can't speak music. I can't talk music with a, a musician. I've never been trained. Um, Music is just immensely important to me. It's more important than visual art to me. Um, I don't know why that is. Uh, I have several theories. One is that at the time I was in, I graduated college 84 and was in graduate school from 84 to 86. That was a really interesting time musically because you had punk moving out, you had industrial moving in, you still had hard rock. And I just found music to be incredibly compelling and interesting and provocative. I was listening to some crazy stuff like Einstein and Neubauten, who still is a favorite group of mine. <laughs> I actually met Blix and Bargeld. Shut um, up. That's <laughs> awesome, man. All right, sorry, that was it. Sorry. You touched my knee. <laughs> and, <laughs> 
but I, I just felt like music was, there was something authentic in the Kate Bush, Peter Gabriel, there was something authentic in the music I was hearing then that transcended just singing a song and playing music. They were trying to, they were trying to tap into something else. And that has never left me. Uh, and I think because I wasn't trained as a musician, I just hear it in this sort of awe. Like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to make all those things. I'd look at a painting and, you know, if I really worked hard, I could probably duplicate any painting you find, you know? And so there's something about music that just compels me. And then when I'm in the studio and listening to it, it's the very thing that gets me moving. Um, I listen to a lot of high energetic music and I listen to a lot of calm, beautiful music. I, I know the mood and I put it on and, um, I, I don't feel like I've really fully touched on that, but music was, a I was really bored with art in the 80s. I didn't like what I was seeing and I loved the music. You think I would be a musician, but I tell my students that now all the time. It's like, it's so healthy for an artist of one medium to be inspired by an art form of a different, because then you can apply your own tools to it. I, I can hear Kate Bush singing and, and making all these unusual sounds and Laurie Anderson, oh my God, Laurie Anderson doing things. And it just gets my mind going. And I'm not bogged down by her visual imagery. I'm not bogged down by what she chose to paint. Instead, she's inspired me to think about the things that uh, she sings about. What's well, funny to me, because I use visual art the same way that you talked about using music. <laughs> I'm not a visual artist, but musically, I can pull everything apart. I know exactly what's happening. But I'll use visual art to help inspire things. And I, it reminded me of um, what you were just saying. And it um, is a the film composer, Jim Powell, uh, who's done a lot of big stuff. Someone asked him, well, how, how, are you, how do you become a great film composer? He goes, don't listen to film music. <laughs> like, don't stay in your medium. Go outside. Go. I mean, I found meaning from watching a football game before. Like, oh, I'm going to use right. that approach in music. Like, wouldn't make any sense to anybody else. Mm -hmm. But... I think the source of that is is kind of important, and I, I guess this is kind of the question I'm I'm heading to now, where in a in a world where we have just so much coming at us visually, musically, whatever, um, there seems to be a, it's very easy to be. So I'm not calling them down, but a lot of people kind of playing karaoke, right? So even if it's in visual art, they're copying things they've seen before, or they're they're riffing on something they've seen before, not in a particularly original way. Is there, uh, you know? It, it's some it can be very at least musically it can be very hard to shake people out of that mm -hmm. um because they're just using their influences but just happen to sound exactly like their influences um how do you go about approaching something like that have you recognized that ever in yourself and then when you recognize it in other people how do you kind of go about addressing that i have a theory why um why i've done as well as i have however well that is <laughs> um just as I have seen students who can paint incredibly well and don't do anything with it, I've also met students and people who are just incredibly intelligent and have, have memories that are just amazing. I have no memory. Um, I'm a reasonably intelligent person, but I'm not a genius. Um, I have this theory that um, I expose myself to a lot of stuff and it just gets filtered in my head and it becomes mine. Um, and I think people who have great memories and great and are just incredibly smart, they're aware that it's not theirs. They're constantly seeing all this stuff that other people are doing and creating or whatever, and they know it's not theirs. And 
I, I don't think about that. I, I have no desire to copy of Michelangelo, but I've definitely taken that information into my head and it becomes my information. And I think every now and then I'll spew something out and I'll realize later what was driving it, what I had seen before, but because I've allowed so many other things to filter into it, no one would ever guess that's why, where it came from. So um, that's my theory about how my brain works that allows me not necessarily to be creative, but to steal a lot of information and, and recontextualize it and put it from my frame of work so that it looks like something new and different. I'm, I'm not painting about anything different than anybody else, nor you know, is, was Einstein singing about anything else. Hell, half of Einstein's music was about love. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And how many times has that been, that been addressed, you know, and, and, um, (laughs) but I think you're, you're hitting that, that statement that, you know, that's so misunderstood, I think sometimes, which is good artists borrow, great artists steal. When you're stealing, you're, you're putting together, (laughs) I mean, in a way that's just new, you're presenting something new. Right. Um, So I guess a question I I have here for you is, you know, because we have all kinds of different artists that listen to the show, whether it's, uh, you know, poets and musicians and, um, if you were going to talk to a creative artist in general, not a visual artist per se, but any creative artist, and they're wanting to, to make their life in the art, doesn't mean that they have to make a living there, but they're wanting to, to step into living in this, in this creative way. What advice might you give them? Um, work hard. Uh, enjoy being alone and um, and count yourself self lucky when when you get lucky you work you have to get you have to work hard to get lucky <laughs> that's it yeah that's it I mean I'm serious man it, it's it, it I mean it, it's oh man I'm, I'm trying to listening to you talk is like don't don't yell out don't yell out and then I do but still here we are um, it is, it's, it's, you know, look, it, it's, I think Ella DeGeneres said that, you know, people started to ask her what it felt like to be an overnight success. And she said something to the effect of like, it only took me 10 years to be an overnight success. Yeah. You yeah. know, it, it's, it's, uh, the, 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 what you're, and I think again, like either people are afraid to sound melodramatic, which would be easy in this kind of thing, or the scare folks away from wanting to do this and follow their dream, but being real about it without being frightening is critical. You know, you are going to, um, you're going to work hard and you're going to have a lot of 4am. What in the hell am I doing moments, you know, so that when you achieve that goal, you don't piss it away. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we, we've said before, like I've never had a heart of heart against anyone who did make it quickly. Um, but more times than not, you see that they lose it just as fast because they didn't have that, that hardship before to know like just how valuable it is and to understand how much they've given up to get it. You know, there, there is something dangerous about being discovered too early. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. I figure I'm 59. I'm ready to be discovered. <laughs> <laughs> it's time. Let's ring the bell, bro. Where y'all at? Bring me the money. <laughs> it is, dude. It, if you weren't, if you weren't going to be, if you didn't turn out to be uh, a professor and a painter, was there another vocation that you might have slipped into? I really went off to college. Well, one, I, I came from. Uh, we weren't. We weren't poor, but we weren't. We weren't comfortable, and my family was my parents divorced. And so college didn't look like a possibility for me. Um, but I was very lucky. I, uh, my mother discovered Berea College, which is a very unique institution. No student pays tuition. And that's how I was able to do college. Uh, I, I really went to college to get away from home and mm-hmm. uh, was, yep, 
was thinking about things like psychology and architecture. So, and I was already a physical person, you know, I was a gymnast and a diver and a coach. And um, so all these sort of things kind of pieced together after a while. Um, but I think if I weren't an artist, uh, I love houses. <laughs> I, I'm, I think I'm a, a frustrated uh, real estate agent. <laughs> I, I love interesting, beautiful homes. I lived in an arts and crafts home for 16 years and it became a passion of mine. And uh, if not, uh, maybe I'd be a woodworker. I, I'd, I'd be doing something with my hands. I know, you touched on something again about being a gymnast and exercise. Um, I don't think we've ever been able to cover this before, but it, it is an enormous part of my sanity. Um, and it's not something that's typically attributed to artists, you know. Um, but uh, when I get frustrated or need clarity or stability, I mean, that, that is a part of my every day to again and and every single time whatever is bothering me or if I or if I'm frustrated for not being in you know inspired when I get in and again kind of vacate myself from that worry or that topic and work out and stress and run and, and you know push it out when I come out I feel better and that idea will will come back to me is is that still a part of your life do you find that to be true absolutely although I have to say with COVID um things yeah. have happened I've I've worked out all my life uh, I just always have uh, when COVID hit, the Y that's around the corner for me closed down. Now they're open, but their hours are very restricted. I have not worked out like like I used to uh, in over a year. And yet I've up until then, I've worked out all my life. Mm -hmm. Working out uh, is both working out and music, by the way, because I'm always listening to music when I'm working out. Mm -hmm. um, it's just incredibly empowering. It, I, it sounds silly, but it is. Mm -hmm. It's empowering physically and mentally. And it just makes me feel really good about myself and uh, energized. Um, there's something about being healthy, both in, in mind and body and spirit. I mean, it's, it's a cliche, but it's absolutely true. Um, I agree. And I think some things often when I hear that word and I've said it in that you know, cliche, I think some things stick around because they're true. You know, that, and it, it's just, it's not, and again, like when I think about like, man, they should, they're just like the college course, God bless them for, you know, like, look, this is how you know, because with with the, the company magazine, the Blue Mountain Review, which you've been in, the folks need to go check out um, the, the, the visual. You kind of have to give it to Jesus and say, like, look, I need a professional photo of your work or it's going to look terrible in the magazine. I'm not trying to step on your ego, but, you know, I, I need it. I, I don't need it on your cell phone. I need it, you know, <laughs> and, and then to know that that's that's got to cost money to do, you know. Um, so it, it's, it's, again, to see somebody fleshing that out and, 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 and teaching that now will, you know, make it much easier in the future, but presentation, uh, is everything. And as far as, you know, being your best person, you know, especially for me, people, again, think that you're being judgmental saying get in the gym. It's, it's not just, it's, it's not a vanity thing. It's a solid body mind thing. You know, right. it, it, I believe that, you know, if, if to be more physically active, I mean, again, for me, the word that keeps coming back is grounded. You know, I come out and I feel solid inside and out. Um, and, and honestly, when I look at your work and I, and I, and when I see you work, um, with, with form, uh, your eye for, for detail and the strength of the body is there without it being the point of the painting, mm -hmm. uh, the, the painting that drew me and, and I'm embarrassed that I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it, it was in the show. I can, like, I'm, I'm sitting here. I can see it <laughs> is the painting you did with the, uh, I believe that she was a flamingo, a flamenco dancer. Uh, and a, and she, the, she's uh, in a tight fitted dress and kind of looking to the side. Um, I couldn't, I, I mentioned it to you before. I think you said it was in a hotel, maybe. Uh, yeah. I, I'm wondering if you're thinking about Mutra and Talker. Um, yes, 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 yes. Sorry, sorry. Thank you. Uh, painting. Yes. I mean, yeah. I just, you know, I, I, I mean, again, it's, it's why that, that painting 
and then when I asked you about it, it's like, yeah, it's, and then you gave me the dimensions and I'm like, yeah, a house that big i don't it's just, you know it, it's it's you know the 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 physical awareness in your work and actually now that you talk about architecture and and, and the, the love of houses the mathematical precision to how mm. you create paintings it all makes sense to me now but i didn't I, I didn't need to know that stuff about you or your approach to um to standing in standing in that in that gallery at the shorter college and staring at that painting and i'm not gonna lie i thought i could i could totally sneak that out of here I could get that off the wall. No, nobody would know it was me. You know, they'd absolutely have known it was me. It's uh, there, there's a, um, the writer of you is coming through in that story. <laughs> she is not a she is not a flamenco dancer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so what she, she is, was to me. Don't steal my Christmas, Gary. That's right. That's right. And that's also how you that's how you remember her. And memory is such a you know a creative thing because we embellish through time. Uh, she was a big, strong German woman with a white shirt, black skirt, and combat boots on with a green scarf. You might have thought flamenco dance, and she's holding her baby. Um, that's the that's the piece we talked about early on. It hangs at the Montgomery Museum of Art. She was a very good friend of mine, German professor. I embellished, I made her a little stronger than she is, but um. I saw her, you know, some paintings I think about forever and construct them in my mind and others I just see. And I saw Carlina walking across the city one day and I'm like, oh my God, I've got to paint her. Right. Because <laughs> she was walking in that big black skirt. And she just had this German attitude about her. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, man. It just, again, it's like, you know, it's, it's the, uh, the, the flow and the movement without it. That's what really fascinates me about something that's still you know that, that, that you can still uh -huh. and, and and i think that you know those with all that technical skill can get the person down but that person with the divine blue flame can actually make that person in motion and and again like you talk about music i don't know the language in painting to, to try to you know to really adequately give people that are listening to this the idea um of of what you're able to create and before we go any farther how can people find your work online, possibly buy it, contact you? How, how do they go about that stuff? Uh, the easiest way is my website. Uh, by the way, there are a few famous Gary Chapmans, so uh, try to avoid them. Uh, Amy Grant's ex-husband. I, I get a lot of, oh, and there, there's a famous Gary Chapman who has written quite a few books on love. Mm -hmm. And um, and I, I get people calling me for marriage counseling all the time. It's crazy. <laughs> it's like they go to my website and then they write me to save their marriage. It's like, did you look at the paintings? <laughs> I get one of those a month. I get one of those a month. I really do. Um, so my, my website's GaryChapmanArt.com. And that's, that's the easiest way. Um, find me out there. And then strike up a relationship. I don't have any commercial galleries. So I, uh, I sell all my work through, through me directly or where, wherever it happens to be showing at the time. All right. It's... I was again like how did we just you know of course me being a writer this is always something I'm interested in but uh, how did, how does literature play into your life like you know what what books what what poems have stuck with you over the years? Mm -hmm. I Clifford I won't lie I wish I read more. Uh, there I had a time when I read a lot. I, I consciously read a lot of the classics when I got out of grad school because I realized there were all these books that I'd never read. I'd never read Siddhartha, and um, in fact I just reread Siddhartha about six months ago, just because it's like, I need to read. Yeah. Anyway, um, one of my favorite books is Leonard Schlein's. Um, oh, I've got it sitting right there. <laughs> All right. Uh, Leonard, Schlein, Leonard Schlein's book, uh, Power. Uh, oh, my gosh. I'm having a total brain freeze. 
Uh, Leonard Schlein writes this wonderful book about the sciences and the art world and how they're evolving and moving in time. Parallel visions of space, time, and light. That's it. All right. Um, and he 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 talks about how the world is going through these monumental changes, whether it's World War One, the Industrial Revolution, World War Two, the nuclear bomb, and at the same time he's he's taking you through the art world and showing you Salvador Dali and and Picasso who's shattering um, the picture plane and going into three dimensions and just it, it, incredible stuff. And he's he's matching them up and you're like oh my gosh of course that was going on at the same time this is going on at the same time and he spends about a third of the book going throughout history much further back than than world war one way back and all these very important things are happening changing history in both the scientific world and the art world and he, once he gets you believing that and seeing it he he spins a little bit and says it's actually happening in the art world before it happens in the science world he says he says that just before the, the mathematicians and the physicists were discovering this, the artists were already doing this. And his theory is that in order to create something, it doesn't just come out of whole cloth. It has to come from somewhere. And you cannot put words to something until you see it. And so he gets you to thinking that the artist, there's this zeitgeist in the air. This is where we all are in humanity. Things are making this monumental shift. The artists are seeing it and the scientists are putting in the formula to, to, to answer it. I think it's a, a really incredible book. And you, you, you hit home with- Art, with, It's uh, called Art and Physics. It, 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 I'm Oh no no wait no no you're absolutely cool dude it, it's it you know what energizes me is when I when I when I hear about other people who see that the reason I like to kind of spindle out with the other arts is that they we all seem to feed each other you know and yeah. and, and and again like to have some weight because you I've heard people that say like you know art is the the impetus to change you know we're we're the first ones to because we're able to kind of do it a little more loosely you know that without mm -hmm. without being exact about it and sparking that interest with somebody else to go and find it so to, to, to and metaphorically metaphorically I, I think i think metaphorically and symbolism you know carl sagan that uh, was my favorite scientist because he could talk about such incredibly complex ways in such a way that i could understand them and his his use of analogies and analogies are really interesting because that that actually that's what creativity is it's that the synapses that spark and say make that cross reference and it's like oh that's because of this and creativity comes out of that Absolutely. This is the best conversation ever, man. It's, it's <laughs> to, I mean, to take kind of a philosophical note on that, when you look on your life and you look at the, the way the world is now and uh, how, what is your philosophy to stay sane in that and, and, and to live a life, living your best life? Mm. That may be the biggest question of all. <laughs> Art does seem to be an important part of it. Um, I've had a few times in my life when I was less productive and it's really funny. You can see it in my life, things that were going on. Um, I became, I agreed to be chair of my department for three or four years, three, and then it ended up being four years. And it definitely took time out of my studio. And at that same time, I was living in that arts and crafts bungalow and I started going crazy. I was, I was buying stickly furniture and stenciling my walls and making it look like an, the arts and craft bungalow kind of because I wasn't making art. And, you know, finally I stepped down as chair and my wife's like, would you just get back in the studio? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so it, it definitely, it perks out, it percolates out some way if I don't get it out through painting and I would much rather do it with painting. So, um, and then, and then I, I've, you know, COVID has definitely had, I, I've been productive during the time, but there have been moments where it, it, it kind of petered out a little bit or I was getting a mild depression and uh, I realized I wasn't listening to music again. And the moment I started listening to music for two days, it was all back and I was in the studio painting. That's amazing. It, it's, it's, how do you, if you had uh, a bit of advice for our listeners who want to follow, you know, as, as it were in your footsteps, um, what would you tell them to help them keep the inspiration alive, especially now coming out of COVID? You know, I think you just gotta want to do it. And, um, I, I guess a lot of people don't really want to do it. I think uh, you've got to dig down inside yourself and find out why you want to do it. Is it is it because you feel immensely satisfied after having done it, or is it the process itself that makes you feel good? Is it the investment of, of thinking that makes you uh, feel satisfied in its completion? I think, you know, I, like Carl Jung said, we all want to make things. Uh, creating something is something completely different. And... Uh, what would I tell them? Work hard, uh, constantly question yourself, but do it. You know, I, I like to tell my students the, just the statistics. The vast majority of students who get an art degree will stop making art. The vast majority of students who go on to get their MFA will stop making art. So it's clearly not easy. It's not easy. Otherwise, all those people would be doing it. So it's good to know those numbers, but it's also important at some point to ignore those numbers because you know, in, in the academic world, we'll, we'll interview 200 people to hire one artist, one painter. And um, the reality is 175 of those painters, or let's say 150 out of those 200 would never even be in contention because they're just not making the work. They're not making it strong enough. They're not making interesting enough work. If you can just keep making the work, you're going to rise to that top uh, echelon. It's just a matter of, of working and working and working and you'll find your community. They'll find you. Well, the Cliff and I want to say thank you for spending your time with us. We want to thank Gary for an illuminating conversation. You can find Gary Chapman at GaryChapmanArt.com. You can find Cliff Brooks at cliffbrooks.com or at southerncollectiveexperience.com. You can find myself at michaelamaday.com, worldpoetrymagazine.com, or worldpoetryopenmic.com. The music for this episode was provided by the fantastic Justin Johnson. Until next time, remember to be yourself. The world needs your authenticity. Do the hard work and conquer your obstacles creatively. Remember to follow your heart, for it's easy to lose your head in this business of music and poetry. <laughs>